everybody is curious as to how he unwraps it, how you unwrap it. He comes out cleanly. Sometimes the kind bars can be a little gooey. He doesn't even hesitate, and he goes with a 45-degree mm. angle for They're his really first good. bite. So immediately you see the reaction. Now the question becomes, how long does he chew? Is he a chewer who wants to enjoy the process? Or did he goes right back to it. And he's right back in with a second bite already. The Kaminsky Method has often felt like the anti-sitcom sitcom, a Netflix series that proudly revels in inside Hollywood references, originally built around a pair of characters whose combined age is roughly 150. That's a review from Brian Lowry of CNN talking about the Kaminsky Method, closing up shop with a sweet final season of season three. This is Cinephile once again. It's great to have you with us as we are roaring along here, despite David Sampson's uh, rude interruptions last week. The pod did well. Great numbers, so please do subscribe and support us. We've got a great show today, seriously. Joe Tessitore, one of my good friends in the business. Uh, he's, of course, the voice of ESPN, where he just wears so many hats, boxing, college football, horse racing, and also, holy moly, which is the main reason he's here. It is a huge ratings juggernaut. It's on ABC. It airs Thursday at 9 o'clock Eastern. I watched the premiere of Season 3 last week. Tess is going to talk all about it. He's got a little game here with Cody. Uh, we also have another special guest we'll get to in a second. But, listen, I love Chris. I think he's a great guy. He does an excellent job here on the show. I was furious with him. I, I listened to last week's show, and I, I never listened to my stuff. Who the hell wants to listen to their own voice? Well, some actors would. But anyways, um, I just love Rogowski so much. I just wanted to listen to Rags. So I go back and listen to the episode. I never listen to the full episode, again, to be clear. But if it's a good guest, I go back. And I'm just laughing along the whole time. And then there was one major issue. I'm like, wait, what happened to Rags' James Mason impression, which was hysterical. <laughs> And and I text Cody. I'm like, hey, what? I can't believe. I, and I know what's happened. I'm like, he's clearly edited. I'm like, I can't believe you took out Rags' James Mason impression. For those who missed the episode, go back and listen. We're talking about the verdict. James Mason's a great British actor. And Cody, which I love this about Chris, because you could have said, oh, you know what? I still thought it was really good due to the interest of time. Was, no, no. I loved his honesty. He goes, honestly, it was one of Carl's suggestions. So that's there's where it's at. I go, great. Throw Carl into the bus. Because it's more important that you and I get along. So, Carl, I completely disagree with your judgment, first of all. It was a terrible idea. That saved like 20 seconds. That was nothing. And it was great. Adnan, it was a really bad impression. Come on. It was ridiculous. A ridiculous impression. Carl, if you're listening, uh, the next time Rags is coming on, he is coming on in July. Monthly appearances. I've already discussed it with him. We're going to talk about Chinatown, one of my favorite movies of all time. I'm going to have him do a James Mason impression. I'm going to make sure there's a way that Cody can't edit it. Like, I'm going to say, make sure make sure you give me a great answer about Jack Nicholson and Chinatown, and then just slip in a random James Mason impression. I'm like, ah, can't edit that out now, can you? Rogowski's sneaky, sneaky, a uh, little dangerous. He's yes. a little dangerous with his jokes. That wasn't the only thing we cut. Yeah, there was a couple <laughs> other jokes you did cut, which I, I understood why, but I'm like, eh. it was dicey, but it was definitely on the edge. Was, he's a little, I like it. I like to live on the edge, though. It made me feel a little dangerous. Absolutely. He's uh, he's a blast. And again, if you didn't listen to the episode, make sure you listen to that. Uh, you could have edited out Samson, Carl, but whatever. It's all good. This is the life we have here on Cinephile. <laughs> um, let's talk about a couple little things here. The Kaminsky Method, which is a show on Netflix. The third season just wrapped up shop. And this is one of those shows that I said, I went in with a jaded, jaundiced eye. And I said, I don't even know why I'm watching this. And I'm like, well, I guess I know I'm watching it because I like actors. I like big stars. It's Michael Douglas and Alan Arkin. And Michael Douglas won a Golden Globe for the first season. Golden Globes, again, not quite have the shine they have the last couple of years because of just how 
white the awards themselves are. There's a controversy. There's going to be no Golden Globes next year. But if someone says to me, Michael Douglas won a Golden Globe for this. It's on Netflix. It's a 30-minute show. There's six episodes. I'm like, I know. Let me dive in. And I love Alan Arkin. Alan Arkin won an Oscar for Little Miss Sunshine. I always find him hilarious. He's in Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, which I love. So the show, for those who are unaware, is about a guy who wished he was a great actor. Instead, he's an acting teacher. That's Michael Douglas, plays the role of Sandy. And then his best friend in the, mo- in the show is Alan Arkin, and he's hilarious. He's exactly what Alan Arkin is, is in every movie, which is to say he's avuncular, but cutting, sarcastic, dry wit, angry, a little ornery. But the show really exists because of their chemistry, and that's what made the show enjoyable. You have some supporting characters. Paul Reiser shows up. You got Kathleen Turner in the show. So the third season, which just debuted on Netflix, I believe a week ago, has one glaring issue. You want to take a guess what the issue is, Cody? Uh, I have no clue what the issue could be. So the show is built on the bromance of these two guys, and Al Arkin is not in season three. So the whole show is about Douglas and Arkin. Arkin's not there. I'm like, oh, my God, they fired him? Like, what happened? But apparently the original contract they signed, and, you know, Chuck Lorre's a big name in the whole world of TV. Uh, This is the guy Mm -hmm. who did the Big Bang Theory, Young Sheldon, all that kind of stuff. So apparently they were like, listen, Arkin is only committing to two years for whatever reason. Maybe he only wanted to do two years, whatever it was. So all along, we we got him for two. Let's just do three. What the hell? But he's not in the show. This is like, and I'm not a Friends fan. My wife watched this HBO reunion. Imagine if they didn't have Chandler. Like, you got to have Joey Tribbiani, yeah. right? Like, especially to the point, Friends is six people. If you lost two, I still got four to six. If there's a two-man show and you lose one of them, not quite the same thing, right? What's your strategy on a show? If you commit to a show, are you in for the long haul? Like, do you punt on shows? What's your strategy on that type of thing? I do punt on shows. Like, listen, if it's a show, it's just like a 22-episode thing, I'm like, I'm out. Um, especially now in this day and age, what I like is you have shorter seasons. For example, the Kaminsky Method, this third season, which to be clear in my review right now, I'm telling you, is lukewarm. Douglas is fine. Kathleen Turner, of course, you know, uh, you know, uh, Jewel of the Nile, uh, Romancing the Stone, those 80s movies they did together. It's good to see her back again. You know, it's mildly amusing. Morgan Freeman does show up, by the way, uh, playing kind of a, a version of himself. But because it's only six episodes and they're 25 minutes each, it's easy to push through. So even as I'm somewhat underwhelmed, I'll give it two Maple Leafs. I'm like, it's an easy watch, and it's, you know, it fits like an old sweater. It's just a comfortable watch. But Homeland, <laughs> yeah, this is exactly what the show is, by the way. The average age of the cast is about 72 years old. It's like an old sweater. Whereas Homeland, which is a show that the first season I thought was riveting. Dan Stanzik, you got to watch Best it. Best season like, oh. ever. Best first season. Like, I was, so, I checked out after, like, season three or four, though. Correct. So, first season, amazing. Second season, okay. I'm not sure if I got through the third season, and I had no issue punting. I'm like, yeah, this, this, like, there's no reason. Why would I stick with this? Billions, I love Paul Giamatti. I watched the first season. Second season, I'm like, this is getting repetitive. But the third season, I'm like, yeah, I'm good. Like, I, don't, I, don't, I, I know where this is going. It's just a cat and mouse game. They're going to keep going back and forth. So I have no issue with that. When it comes to the Kaminsky Method, again, if you like the show, I think you'll enjoy the third season. But be forewarned, you are missing a critical element of the show, which is no Alan Arkin. Uh, they do have some risque language, some uh, sexual situations, which you wouldn't necessarily expect of octogenarians and people of a certain age. These are senior citizen stars in a six-episode season, and it's about friendship and grief and loss, all those kinds of things, but I did enjoy it. It was amusing. You don't imagine sex scenes with an old sweater. That is true, but let me just put this this way. This, This will actually help the show get sold. There's a scene with Michael Douglas and a very attractive Russian hooker. So you know what? If that's your thing, thumbs up to the Kaminsky Method currently available on Netflix season three. 
Let's do a few minutes of the movie Cody and I both watched, which we'd both never seen. Primal Fear, the 25th anniversary. Cody, I am you watched it as well. I am so excited to finally be able to contribute to a conversation around here about something you're reviewing. Like, I am just, I watched it over the weekend. I feel informed on it. Richard Gere is good looking. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's just, that was my big takeaway. You know, in my as I've come to be an adult, he's been a little bit older, so I got to see him in his heyday. But I enjoyed the movie. I'll let you go first, but I enjoyed it. Gregory Hoblitz, the director, I, he's definitely a TV director. I think he did some stuff at NYPD Blue. I recognize the name when I watched the credits. First off, I was amazed that I'd never seen it. You know, sometimes these movies slip through the cracks. You know, whatever, life issues, this and that. I just didn't have time, whatever it was. But the cast, as I'm watching, like, I love all these people. Like, Richard Gere, I guess I'm lukewarm on. There was that story about him putting Goebbels up his butt years ago. I was kind of like, I don't know, I'm not sure about this guy. Pretty woman, whatever. Um, uh, Edward Norton, I've always liked a lot. But the supporting actors are like my kind of people. Frances McDormand's one of my favorite actresses. Later this year, we're going to do the 25th anniversary of Fargo, which is one of my favorite movies. One of the favorite movies of Ryan Rossillo. Andre Brower, I love. He's, of course, from Homicide Life on the Street. John Mahoney from Frasier, Eight Men Out, great baseball movie. Laura Linney, who's a wonderful actress. who She's in Ozark. She was also in You Can Count on Me. Alfrey Woodard, excellent actress, always in John Sales movies. Stephen Bauer from Scarface is in this movie. Like, the supporting cast alone, like, I, Maura Tierney's in the movie. Loved her in News Radio. She's in Insomnia. This is one of those casts here, Cody, I'm watching. I go, there's like eight to ten name actors right now still doing good work 25 years later. The first half of the movie, I was kind of like, okay, this is a whodunit. Like, I'm kind of, I was like, you know, watching it, into it, not, not really into it. But the second half, man, there were twists, shocking turns. I was just like, Edward Norton, that performance. I mean, at first, the, the performance, I was like, this is a little. But then at the end, when, like, the ending comes in, it's just like, oh, my God, it, like, blows your mind. I don't watch as many movies as you, so, you know, this doesn't mean as much coming from me. But it's the best movie I've seen in a while. I wish we could do, like, as I read critic blurbs off the top, I wish that Primal Fear was re-released and they would use the Chris Cody blurb. This is one of the best movies I've seen in a while. Chris Cody, cinephile. The synopsis, by the way, in case you're unfamiliar, an altar boy is accused of murdering a priest, and the truth is buried several layers deep. It's based on a novel by William Deal, and Steve Shagan and Ann Biderman wrote the screenplay, Hobbit directed it. Like Chris is saying, it's one of those courtroom thrills you've seen this before. Richard Gere is the flashy lawyer, debonair, not sure about his ideals, supports the defense guy, supports the criminals. Stephen Bowers, one of these, you know, mugs showing up, who's bad dude, but hey, Gere's an ambulance chaser, it's fine. But now he's presented with a case in which this will test his morale. He actually seems to care about this case. And you have Edward Norton showing up. And the, the the motivation to watch this on HBO was simply, hey, I heard Edward Norton's great in this movie. Never seen it, but let me just see Edward Norton. And to Cody's point, I'm watching it thinking, okay, this is like the film that really announced his arrival. And they've talked about Primal Fear was a coveted role for young actors. Matt Damon said he auditioned for the movie. I don't know if it was Affleck, but another actor of that realm. And they're like, listen, everyone knew this is the part in Hollywood you want, the Primal Fear role as Aaron. And they said when Edward got it, they all knew, like, dude, this guy's going to blow up. Like, it's just a great role on the page. And he got it, and it did do wonders for his career. And what's interesting, to Chris's point, with about 15 minutes to go, I'm thinking, all right, this has been a good courtroom thriller. As you said, twists and turns. And I'm not going to give away anything because nobody spoiled it for me for 25 years. So if you haven't seen Primal Fear, check it out. But I'm waiting for Norton's moment. I'm like, you know, I heard this guy was great, and I'm like, he's, he's definitely had some moments. And then I get to the end, and you're oh. like, okay, now, oh, now, now I get why. Right? Now I get why this is the Edward Norton coming here. Like, like. And this is another proof of the axiom. It's a decent film elevated by a great ending. And that's there are so many times you can think of movies, you and I, that you go, hey, good movie, but the ending was a letdown, and therefore that 
colors your entire perception of the film. But the other way it goes is if it's a good, solid Carton thriller and it's a great ending, you walk out of that theater buzzing want to tell your friends all about it. Hey, so. you're good at this. You're, you, you do this for a living. You talk about movies. That was, that was a lot better than my review. You're so <laughs> right about that. So many movies are good and then fall off at the end. This was a rare one that was solid but really good at the end. Look at you. Exactly. You're good at this. No, I, I appreciate that. It's nice of you to say. Overall, uh, yeah, I like the way that Cody referred to it. Good movie, which soared at the end. That's why we should all recommend and watch Primal Fear, which I'm going to give three and a half Maple Leafs. Currently, it's available on HBO. And the Kaminsky Method, once again, two Maple Leafs. It's currently available on Netflix. So last week, David Sampson rudely interrupted the proceedings on Cinephile, and I'm still upset about it. So Cody has warned me he's going to bring in people from the Levitard show. But i got to tell you, as soon as this face popped up, I'm grinning ear to ear, okay? Ron McGill, Sumayimi, yes! One of the great elements of the show. Uh, for those who are unaware, if you if you don't listen to Ron, every time he comes to the Levitard show, it's absolute magic. He gets peppered with these absurd, inane questions, and he answers them with such smoothness and such eloquence. A true animal lover. Ron, it's a pleasure to finally chat with you. Oh, Adnan, listen, my pleasure, man. You know, I, I feel like I've got to the promised land. When you get the call from Adnan, man, you, you, you made it to the top. Like when I first started listening to the show, I tell people, they go, well, what is this show on ESPN? Like, you know, it was this, it was this local Miami show. Now it's a national show. And I go, hey, there's this guy, this, this guy from the zoo that's unbelievable. Like, I understand. Is he like a big football fan? I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, they'll be talking about sports and he just shows up and he's asking animal questions. They go, what's his name? I go, Ron McGill. I go, this guy's awesome. So, for all those who want to know about Ron and animals and movies, let's start there with your favorite animal movies. Give us your top five. For a guy who loves animals like no one else, and you've seen them on the big screen, which of the movies that you see? You know what? This tugs at the heartstrings. Well, God, to pick a top five, that's a hard thing. There's a lot of great animal movies. But if I had to pick five, I'd go with, like, The Lion King. And that's a big one for me because I got to work on it. I actually worked with all the animators and worked with them making that film, not knowing how big it was going to be. Uh, you got to go with Old Yeller. I don't care what you say. If you don't cry in that movie, you're not alive. You got to go for War Horse. That's a fantastic film. You know, as a kid growing up with a horse, that was just an amazing thing. I really could relate to the bonding with a horse that way. And then there's The Black Stallion, another great horse movie. You got to love that. And finally, a dog movie. Not that a lot of people know about it, but it was Hachi, a dog named Hachi. And it was a, st a story, a, a true story about a dog where his owner died. And that dog went to the train station every day waiting for his owner to get off the train. Man, I'll tell you what, those animal stories, I love them. Ron, paint the picture, though, like the Lion King stuff. I'm still stuck on this. So you're telling me people from the Lion King came to you at Zoo Miami and they were like, we need to make Mufasa. We need to make Simba, like show us your lions. And like, that's how. So essentially Mufasa was at Zoo Miami. Yeah. The fact of the matter is Disney sent down like about 75 animators. They spent several days with us here. And I worked with animals like giraffe, making them walk back and forth, you know, with our lions, with our, our warthog, Pumbaa, you know, so they were able to draw the animals in realistic ways. They could draw those motions to get the animation right. It was a huge privilege. I mean, they actually presented me with a poster signed by all the animators that I have hanging up here in my office. It's my wife's favorite movie. She loves The Lion King. Even the remake, which I thought was a little watered down, she still loves. Uh, and all my kids now love it. As you said, it becomes a family affair because when you love something, you pass it on to your kids. So all my boys, they all they all sing uh, The Lion King songs. My son, Shaz, who's four years old, his favorite animal, Ron, is the gorilla. 
he loves gorillas. Like just we we just went to the Lincoln Zoo in Chicago, which is you know it's a free zoo. It's beautiful there, and all we cared about was the gorillas. And thank God they had six gorillas there. And I'm like, I just think they're phenomenal animals. Like, and people ask me, they go, "Why do you get into gorillas?" And I said, "It's kind of like sports teams. Like, who knows? They choose you sometimes. Like, I just think one day he saw a gorilla on TV, got excited. He loves King Kong. I've shown him the original King Kong. Everything about gorillas, he's in on. Godzilla versus Kong. We're all about Kong. What can you tell me about gorillas that I can impart? He's four years old." But I hope that this love of gorillas continues. What can I tell him that will make him find gorillas even more endearing? Listen, Adnan, first of all, it's great that your son loves gorillas, is focused on gorillas. What he needs to know about gorillas is that they are gentle giants, okay? They're not the monsters that they're portrayed to be in so many films. I've had the privilege of actually being next to wild gorillas in the wild. I've walked up that mountainside in Rwanda, the same place Diane Fossey did her Gorillas in the Mist film, did her Gorillas in the Mist research. I had a 400 plus pound silverback sit right next to me, move over with his lips and actually breathe in my ear. It was like one of the most amazing things. I always tell people, my favorite saying is this, life is not measured by the number of breaths that you take. It's measured by the number of times your breath is taken away. And brother, when you have a 400 plus pound gorilla sitting next to you in the wild, that is breathtaking. But Ron, that had to scare the shit out of you though. Come on, like, let's be honest here. You know, really, it, it didn't scare me. It was an adrenaline rush. I'm not going to lie to you. I was sweating. I was breathing fast. I was really rushed about it. But you know, there's, there's a great saying that also says, you never feel more alive than when you think you're really close to dying. <laughs> the animal that I love is the penguin. I, I find there's a real tragedy because there are birds that cannot fly. No, 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 no. And then penguins do fly. They just fly underwater. You know, I was just in Antarctica watching them fly. And you can watch them. They fly underwater, man. That's not flying, Ron. Cody, no, they do fly. Think if you could do that underwater. It's just flying in a different medium. And they also fly above the water. They do these things. They do what's called porpoising. Well, you'll see them go above the water like flying fish and glide across the top of the water. It's absolutely fantastic to watch. So they do fly. It's remarkable what these guys can do. You were a penguin handler for the movie Five Corners with Jodie Foster and John Turturro. So the downside of penguins is bad smell, right? The bacteria. Oh, my God. I mean, listen, the bottom line is this. Any bird that eats fish. When the fish comes out the rear end, the stink is so bad. It is the smelliest of all animals. Any So birds that eat fish, it's going to make your eyes water. It's one of those, it, I get the gag reflex when I go into the penguin house. It's just unbelievable. How how are the penguins specifically on that movie? Because I've also, they can be kind of feisty. They get a little, little nippy sometimes. Yeah, working those penguins on that movie was really a bit of a challenge because they were kind of feisty. You know, they'll peck at you and you don't realize how powerful their bills are. If they grab your skin, they can peel it off like a little strip of bacon. So you need to be real careful with those penguins. Not only that, they also projectile poop. So if they back up to you, there's like a cannon comes at you and then you smell like that for the rest of the day. A documentary I never thought I would love. We're talking with Rob Miguel, by the way, Zoo Miami, Winged Migration. And you try selling you try selling it to somebody and you go, what is it? I go, it's an 85-minute movie with no narration. It's just music. It's about birds. They go, why the hell did I watch that? And it, it is a gorgeous, tra transcendent film, I might say. You know, when I first saw that film, I thought it was fake. I thought it was a green screen. I said, how are they getting these images of these birds flying alongside them? That can't be real. And then I realized, I learned that this guy actually got these birds imprinted on him. So when he went up in his ultralight, he thought they were one of him. And he, they flew right next to him. So you got this incredible footage of flying over cities, flying over mountains. You felt like you were a bird. You know, I, I have dreams of flying in my dreams. And I saw that dream come true watching that film. Absolutely amazing. We're going to go to a hard right turn because this is notable. You've hosted several famous singers. Uh, Michael Jackson, Christina Aguilera, Gloria Estefan, Jamie Lee Curtis, Sofia Vergara. Like, 
man, there, there's some star power there, Ron. Yeah, and then, you know, it has nothing to do with me. I was just in the right place at the right time, but I've been working with a lot of great stars, you know, some some great athletes, uh, great singers. I mean, probably the highlight of the singing uh, tour was uh, Michael Jackson called me up one night, uh, came in here and, you know, it was uh, at a time when he really needed privacy and he called. I was recommended to him by Jamie Lee Curtis, who's another star that I've been lucky to work with uh, here at the zoo, one of the nicest actors I've ever worked with in my life. And he came here with his kids. And believe it or not, just like your son, he loves gorillas. He just, all he wanted to see were the gorillas. He went in front of the gorillas with his kids and he was like, oh man, this is so country. This is so country. He was having this blast with his kids. Uh, I saw him in a light that I don't think other people saw him in and saw how much he loved these, these animals. And then what was great is we got back to the office. You know, I'm sitting in my office here and he's looking at the photos on my wall and things on my wall. And, you know, one of the things he looked at is he looked at another actress that I've been very fortunate to host here at the zoo, Sofia Vergara. And he looked at her and he goes, man, she must be beautiful, right? And I go, oh, she is beautiful. He goes, yeah, I knew it. I knew it. But what was amazing is I'm sitting in my chair here. And as he's looking around, he's doing this thing where he's kind of going subconsciously. He's going to go. And he's like singing and dancing, but subconscious, like he doesn't realize he's doing it. And I'm sitting in my chair thinking, is that freaking Michael Jackson singing and dancing in my office? And I thought about the times, you know, I saw films of him at Wembley Stadium with 100,000 people going freaking crazy. And I'm getting a private little thing here with Michael Jackson in my office. It was really surreal, but it made me realize, you know, that at the end of the day, he's a human too. It's amazing. A couple more, we're going to let Ron McGill go. One of your favorite movies is also one of mine, The Godfather. Uh, I'm a little surprised because the horse's head scene I thought might offend you, but The Godfather is indeed one of your favorite films. You know, the great thing about Godfather was here you have this incredibly violent film, right? People getting killed left and right, but you never see Marlon Brando as the Godfather do anything violent. You see scenes with him and his grandchildren. You see scenes with him in the garden, dancing at a wedding. That was really great. You know, as opposed to some guy like James Caan, who was probably my favorite actor in that whole film. You see him, you know, whether he's got the woman up against the wall, putting it to her, or he's getting it put to him at the toll booth plaza there where he gets blown away. I mean, this is just, it's a, it's a film of extremes and really, a whole lot of stories behind it, but it's, I'll tell you what, and it was the only, it was the first nonfiction book I read from cover to cover because it was just so mind-blowing to me. And there were so many parts in the book that weren't even in the movie, and still the movie was one of the greatest. Uh, last one, who would play you in a movie? Because we need to have the Ron McGill story at some point in life. Yeah, you know, and I've been asked that a lot, you know, and a guy that I'm always told I remind them of is Sasha Baron Cohen, Borat. And you know, when I look at the guy, I think he'd be perfect. He's got the stash. He's got a little bit of a crazy attitude. He can be kind of weird. Um, I think he'd be perfect. People say, Borat. I go, Borat. Come on, Borat at the zoo. Great film in itself. I love it. Borat. That's nice. <laughs> um, seriously, how has your life been transformed by Dan Levitard and company? Because if I'm a guy living, you mentioned you're from New York. I'm living here in North Jersey, and I know you. And if I ever go to Miami, I'm going to go, I got to go to Zoo Miami and see Ron McGill. This, is, this level of celebrity has changed your life, hasn't it? You know, the fact is that uh, the Dan, his show, his followers, I've gotten a platform now to reach people that I normally wouldn't reach. You know, not necessarily sports people don't necessarily watch nature documentaries. I'm not preaching to the choir when I'm on Levitar. I'm reaching a whole new audience. I've gotten letters, emails from every state in the country, from other countries, Canada, Portugal, around the world. It is a global platform. And what it's done for me and what it's really done for wildlife is it's invaluable. I can't put a price tag on it. I will be forever indebted to, to Lebertard and that great pirate ship because they have really opened some doors for me. Ron McGill is a wonderful guy. Zoo Miami, I can't thank you enough for the time. I would like to give a $100 donation to Zoo Miami, so let me know how to do that. And But this is the key. I want like 100% of that to go towards the gorillas. So I don't know if you can somehow siphon the funds in a certain direction. I will only help the gorillas. 
Oh, man, that's really, really generous of you. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. I will make sure that money goes to help gorillas. Tell your son he's helping gorillas. He's a stalwart conservationist for gorillas. Listen, for me, just to be on your podcast is legendary. Like I said, it's one of those bucket list items. I've reached it now. I can die in peace, brother. Thank you so much. Dear Colgate, I love that you love that I love being at home. You even let me whiten my teeth from home. Because you know how I feel about getting up from my cloud couch. The Colgate Optic White LED Kit gives professional-level results in just 10 minutes a day for 10 days when used as directed. And that's why, Colgate, I want you to meet my parents. Because ever since meeting you, I've been living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. It's a real pleasure to bring in one of my good friends. You know him, you love him. Joe Tessitore. He is does so many hats at ESPN. Obviously, he does a phenomenal job on college football and on boxing, college basketball. You've heard him on Monday Night Football. But we're here to talk about Holy Moly, his latest venture, which has opened him up to a whole new audience. It is doing robust numbers. Season 2 just debuted. Tess, first off. Where are we finding you here on this wonderful day? Because the timing could not be more perfect. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. And congratulations on your continued success with this podcast. I love the fact that this thing started as just a passion play for you because it's something you have such a great interest in and you've taken it this far. So congratulations on that. I think anytime you follow your heart with something you're deeply passionate about, you find success and you have, and it's wonderful. So thanks for having me on. And I still, to this day, and this is like year three of doing various interviews, dealing with, you know, that kind of introduction. Oh, you've known him for 20 years on ABC and ESPN doing football and doing championship fights and horse racing, blah, blah, blah. But now extreme mini golf. I still, to this day, you know, we're through season four of this thing. I shake my head that extreme mini golf and basically mocking and doing comedy of people playing extreme mini golf as they get knocked into the water knocked off of zip lines, just laughing our asses off, wriggling myself, is getting this amount of attention, and that's how I'm introduced now. I, I still, it's, it's still mind-blowing, Adnan. So I, I, I watched... You have found me in the middle of an ADR session. Literally, here I am. I got the mic. We're, we literally, I just interrupted. I Not even 10 seconds before I pressed Zoom, coming out of my mouth was something to the effect of, Oh, and that's the closest the ball has ever come out of Uranus. Because one of the, as you know, one of the holes is named Uranus. It's a space-themed hole. And this is literally what is happening in my life right now as we settle in to do this podcast. As you know in the business, people ask, hey, what is so-and-so like? What is this person like? So people say, what's Joe Tessitore like? And I said, he's exactly as you see him. But what you don't realize about him, he's really funny. And I go, I go, he has this great wit about him. He's very intelligent, and he's really smart. And you, you know he's got a great voice, and he's very got wonderful presence, but he's really funny. So what Holy Moly has proven is it people can see a different side of you and that humor. I watched last week's episode, Tess. You had like a half a dozen great lines. The chemistry of the, oh, is, und- the, the, chemistry of the wriggle is undeniable. He's joking about the climate control booth. And I mean, you had a line about the cold, hard pecker. And then Riggle's like, I can't believe yes. you said that on national yes. television. Like it, like- right, yes. Well, the pecker was massive. I mean, did you see the size of the pecker? It was, I mean, the bird, the bird's beak. And then, the. I mean, the pecker is so massive. And it's bobbing in and out and what these golfers have to go through on that hole alone. Um, But, you know, listen, I just will say this. Rob Riggle is so easy to work with and he's so funny and he's so smart. 
And he's one of those comedic actors. And I would love your thought on this because I, I defer to you when it comes to your understanding of movies and generational placement when we rank things. But if I went through Verky and I said, we've got the hangover in the scene where he plays the cop and he's got the taser scene. We've got the other guys in the fight scene. We've got stepbrothers. We've got Catalina wine party. We, I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on. In the last 20 years, is there anybody more consistent in having the smaller bit role with the bigger punch of stealing the show? I'm with you. It's a very short list. And what I love about him is he's so endearing. Like, I've seen him on these Comedy Central roasts, and he's amazing. Oh. I, I, those are just high comedy tests. Like people who think it's lowbrow, I'm like, no, no, there's an oh. art form to go up there and to seven minutes savagely eviscerate everybody on that panel. And Riggle does it so well, and he can take the joke, which is the most important thing. When someone says, how about Rob Riggle's assault on subtlety, and he's the guy laughing more than anybody. I mean, he's so disarming to me. <laughs> he is. So he's been a great blessing in my life. And, you know, I know you bring up, hey, you may not expect this out of Joe Tess. He's off doing, you know, comedy with Rob Riggle. It has been one of the most joyful departures and necessary departures at a certain stage of my career, because I love doing the prep for what I do for a living. I love prepping football. I love prepping a world title fight, anything I, I call and broadcast. The seriousness by which we consume sports has gotten so out of control, so ridiculously out of control that thank God I've got holy moly that I spend a month of my year sitting there on a set with Riggle, just laughing and understanding the nuance to doing buddy comedy of the straight man, funny man bit that we've done. Um, it, it's so necessary in my year, Adnan. It just is. Uh, you're now 50 years old, which I'm shocked by. I had to Google this in Wikipedia. I'm a few, yeah, a few, my birthday's coming up in a few weeks. I'm going to turn 50. Yeah, uh, uh, shocking to me. How do you do this? I, 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 with your energy level, you're a wonderful father. You are engaged. You're playing squash all the time. How do you balance all this? Because I work for three wealthy people, and I, they've got to get paid. They've got to have a lifestyle. <laughs> I, I am so dirt poor, Adnan. I am such a broke little Italian kid from Schenectady, New York, who used to shred mozzarella in his uncle Nino's pizzeria. I'm just a dumb, broke Italian kid from the Cary Street area in Schenectady, New York, who grew up playing, you know, hopping the fence to play pickup football games with my 21st cousins at Union College, you know, and running over to OTB to, to play the daily double at Belmont and Aqueduct for whatever our uncles wanted. That's who I am, right? So all I know how to do is work, right? While everybody else in my life enjoys a very nice lifestyle, wonderful <laughs> lifestyle. I mean, the cars are beautiful, the private clubs, the private coaching, it's tremendous. I, I look at these people, I see someday I want to be them. But until I get there, I'm just going to keep working every single job that gets offered to me. Rise and grind. So that's why I do Holy Moly. That's why we do all these seasons of Holy Moly, so that those three rich people that live in my house can keep doing that while I'm on the road every single day of the week. Uh, Holy Moly airs Thursdays, 8 to 10 Eastern on ABC. It is a huge juggernaut right now in the ratings I don't want to be boastful on behalf of Tess, but beat the U.S. Open last week by like that was that was so funny. Listen, God bless the U.S. By Open. a million, so talented, Tess, by a million households, we beat the U.S. Open. But Chris, last week because the U.S. Open was at Torrey Pines, so the time shift put it into prime time on Thursday nights. So the actual the actual U.S. Open. I don't know what sums up America and where we are as a culture and society more 
than the actual U.S. Open being on from 8 to 10 in primetime on Thursday on NBC, while Holy Moly was on ABC in the same slot. And Holy Moly had 1.05 million more eyeballs on it. And that was the live. That wasn't even the live plus three because Holy Moly on Hulu is off the charts. But, I mean, you know what? I like people laughing. God bless them. Keep laughing, America. Thursday nights at 9, keep laughing. Uh, one of my favorite moments ever in our friendship, you were so generous and you took me out for dinner, uh, family restaurant. Oh, we went to the family restaurant. We went to the family restaurant, right? Give, give it a plug. In New Haven, where is it? Well, Lou Dolls in North Haven. Yeah, my, you know, my wife was in the family business for years with Quattro's down in Guilford. You know, we started a family. We sold. The family is still going on to great success with Lou Dolls in North Haven and with uh, with Dalton's in Guilford. So we're very proud of all their success. So as we're sitting there, we're just, you know, rapping about life and where we're coming from everything. And I said to you, Tess, I go, like, you're like, you're so smart. Like, you're great at surveying everything around you. I said, you know, Henry Hill and Goodfellas, Nicholas Pelleggi mm. said, most mobsters are just kind of into their own world. But Henry Hill was all eyes. I said, Tess, you're like that. Like, you're doing all your work, but you're seeing everything. You're scouting, you're valuing. And you looked at me. It's one of the great moments of our friendship. And you said, Verk, are you familiar with the Eminence Grease? <laughs> Eminence Grease, yeah. Eminence Grease, the man behind the man. Yeah. So I had to Google this. For anyone who does not know, the Eminence Grease. This is how I want to refer to Joe Tessitore from now on. A person who exercises power or influence in a certain sphere without holding <laughs> an official position. <laughs> we'll keep it at that. <laughs> um, Raging Bull. Uh, well, you know, it's a, re it's a reference to, you know, the, the 1700s in France. And how, you know, the Catholic Church and the power brokers were really running things. It was always the one bishop running things behind the emperor's back. Yes. How many people are going to get an eminence grease reference other than you and me? While, like, while having, um, I believe, while having uh, wrapped mozzarella, <laughs> fresh that was wrapped in escarole that was seared and then drizzled with a balsamic reduction, I believe oh is what we had. Oh, man. Oh. Now you're talking my language. Yes. Yeah, oh, you got to get on. You got to get on that. Cody, you haven't eaten until you've eaten with Tess. Um, Cody, you haven't. You also won't eat for four more days after you eat with me, which is why there's an hour on the treadmill every single morning. Come, especially last night. Last night I had to go. I, I was interviewed for a boxing documentary that's going to air on Fox and, and ABC and ESPN for the big Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder fight coming up. And so it was my first town back in Midtown in quite some time. I had a wonderful meal in Midtown last night. I mean, Midtown's still empty, and there's still a lot to overcome on the back end of COVID here. But the 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 restaurants are back. Let me tell you that. I mean, the food is oh. so today. I'm feeling very oh, very salt cured today. Food is always a staple of Joe Tess, as is boxing. huge part of my life. Huge part of my life. Yep. As is boxing and Raging yes. Bull at the Tribeca Film Festival just wrapped up. Robert De Niro's festival, Jane Rosenthal, Leonardo DiCaprio moderated Q and A with Scorsese and De Niro, and he said, "You know, wow." He said it was amazing. He goes, "Did you have any idea this film would have such resonance? This isn't just a great boxing film. Right. It's not just a great right. sports film. It's one of the greatest films of all time." Yeah. What are we on? Forty-two years now. Nineteen eighties when the film came out. So the forty. Okay. So forty. The forty-first anniversary. Yeah. And, and it's amazing, Tess, because Scorsese is not a boxing fan. He had severe asthma as a child. No, you but know. you don't have to be. See, you don't. That's why boxing, more than any sport, is the is the sport that has been. Um, most prominent in scripted drama uh, over the past 70 years, uh, whether it's on the waterfront or Raging Bull or Rocky or you name Cinderella Man or it doesn't it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what it is. Um, FX tools writing all of it. 
because boxing is not sports. It's not sports. It's life. Uh, you don't play boxing. You don't play life. There's truth in boxing and there's simplicity in boxing. Um, and there are reveals in boxing that are parallel every aspect of human life and human drama of facing adversity, being forced to make very tough decisions. The toughest decision of all is simply stepping, going up the steps and going through the ropes. So one of the reasons why when, when boxing is at its very best, which we've been blessed that it often has now uh, on our Saturday nights on ESPN, not the, not the BS stuff, not, you know, Floyd Mayweather cash grab exhibitions against Logan Paul, not that. Like watching people extend themselves and taking them, themselves to a place that's dangerous uh, and meaningful to them. And Raging Bull, I, uh, you know, I think it, it holds up because of the truthfulness of the sport and the truthfulness of the storytelling. Yeah, Jake LaMotta fighting battles inside the ring, but of course, demons outside yes. the ring. And the 12 minutes, it's only 12 minutes of boxing coverage test, but it's right. so visually captive because it's so subjective. The camera's inside the ring, the use of slow motion, the smoke. Of, I mean, the way that Ray Robinson comes at him, and you know all the, the boxing history of Ray Robinson and LaMotta, but it, it really is a film. Right. Because of the whole you never time. put me down, Ray. Yeah, it's such an incredible film. Al Pacino is one of our favorite actors. You as yes. a son of immigrants, listen, proud Italian-American, you as well. You as well as the son of immigrants. Right. So we can relate to this. We know what it's like to see our right. culture, you know, portrayed and screened. You know, I look at Pacino. I just love the passion in his eyes and his emotion, that fire. Yes. What is it about Pacino for you that rings true? Well, I would say what is it about the Italian-American actor who perhaps had a similar upbringing of what Sunday dinners were like or the intensity of the family dynamic? or the understanding of knowing that your family made a decision that for their people to be better. You know, my family, like many Italian Americans in New York, is post-World War II, um, you know, ruin of Nazi-occupied Southern Italy, of economic ruin, agricultural economy, having no future and coming out and you're, you're on the back end of World War II and you're going another decade of trying to live through that, and you're into the deep 1950s, and you look around, and some of my family even later than that, the 60s and 70s, and you look around and you say, we, we got to do better for our kids. We got to do better for our grandkids. We can. This is not this war-ravaged Southern Italian non-existent economy that stagnates. We, we need to do better. And I think there are a lot of actors, and there are a lot of great Italian-American stories. Now, most of them are centered around the mafia, but still some great storytelling that captures what that is and actors that are were forged from that same life experience that when you speak, you speak with a certain punch, you speak with a certain fiery and intensity. And in drama, in television and film, I think that that immigrant background or that son of immigrant background or that culture then prepares you very well to have a certain expressiveness, drama, and pronounced approach to being on screen. Um, Pacino, to me, is every bit of that. When Pacino punches, he's like a boxer. You can see him actually turn over his expressiveness, turn over his words, strike with impact. He's a very, you know, to the point where it's a Saturday Night Live skit, right? If somebody does an impersonation of Pacino, what they're really impersonating is how the punch turns over when he speaks, you don't even need words to do it. Um, much like the way Arturo Gatti fought or the way Rocky Marciano turned over Susie Hugh from six inches away. 
That is a very long answer to what should be what was a very short question is what is it about Pacino and the culture and my people that that I appreciate. I love the answer because it's all about Pacino's passion and you are passionate as it gets. I'm not going to crush you on time. We're almost out of time. Cody, you have some bit you want to do with Tess? Go ahead. What do you got, Cody? Well, it's just not every day you get to talk to like one of the great sports voices. And I just thought I'd do, have you do something ridiculous. I have a kind yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just do like some play by play. Wait, wait, Cody, you're asking me to do something ridiculous. Meanwhile, I go on ABC for an hour every Thursday night <laughs> and I mock people playing extreme mini golf and I try to broadcast it seriously. Okay. <laughs> I do something ridiculous every week for a job on ABC for an hour. Well, I'm going to try to go top ahead, it. Go. Can you just do some play by play of me eating this kind bar? What is the kind bar? Uh, Cody? It's, it's a kind of okay. peanut butter and First dark of all, chocolate. we're going to get into it. Everybody is curious as to how he unwraps it, how you unwrap it. And he comes out cleanly. Sometimes the kind bars can be a little gooey. He comes out cleanly. He doesn't even hesitate, and he goes with a 45-degree mm. angle for his really first good. bite. It was really good. So immediately you see the reaction. Now the question becomes, how <laughs> long does he chew? Is mm. he a chewer who wants to enjoy the process mm -hmm. or did he goes right back to it and yeah. he's right back in with a second mm -hmm. bite already. I will tell you this, the technique and form of how he's holding his oh. hands, it would resonate with the British tea crowd right now. That is unique. <laughs> we usually don't see that hold of the kind bar, but that's what we're seeing here today with Cody. And he's a quick biter and it's gone. Within three bites, the over-under was set at three and a half. So, folks, <laughs> if your friends in the desert were playing the under, the under came in. It was only three bites to accomplish the devouring of the kind bar. Well done, Cody, and that you, does it here today. You just made my week. You know you my go. month. That was amazing. Thank you. Incredible. What was the flavor? <laughs> Peanut butter, dark chocolate. A little chewier than I imagined. Oh, that's why you went with the multiple quick bites. If it was fruit... If you had like some dried apricot in there, you're not going in for the second bite that quick. Chocolate peanut butter, you're having a glorified Reese's and you're convincing yourself it's healthy. It's not healthy, Cody. You basically just had a, you know, a, a version of a Reese's is what you just had. Hey, listen, Virk, love you like a brother. Let's go. Thank you for watching and reviewing. Virk, let me just, I, one last question before we get back to ADR here and I keep talking about Uranus. Was there any critical review you had of the two hour premiere of Holy Moly? Anything from a, from, the photography, the cinematography, the directing, the any, any, anything, what, any review what, at all. What I was most marveling, honestly, was the production design. I said, like, I would like to know okay. how long this took to create and build these things because these oh, things yeah. are elaborate. Like, I, I find, as you know, when you're immersive in that world, I find all aspects of it amazing. I have deep respect for the craft of it. I just think the artistry with which everything was designed was remarkable. That was my biggest takeaway. Here's the deal. When you pull up to that set, no, everybody who's ever pulled up to the set, I don't care from NFL stars who come on as guests to uh, William Shatner, one of my favorite guests we've ever had, whoever comes up, they look around and say, I cannot believe the size and scope of this. The size and scope and the sets, the holes, they blow you away, which is one of the appeal of the show. I think that it takes on a Willy Wonka wonderment to it. It almost takes on like a Willy Wonka's world. When you watch the giant jib shot in a helicopter shot, blows your mind. So I appreciate that feedback. Cody, good to see you. Virk, keep up the great work. Fans of the Cinephile, enjoy. You got the best in the business guiding you every week here. Holy moly, please join us Thursday nights, 9 o'clock on ABC. Season 3, uh, already off. No apparent fear of death was the one we just had mm. here. So, yeah. yeah. Earth, wind, fire, and donuts coming up. I mean, this is just, it's great stuff. Thursday, 9 o'clock ABC. Philip Bailey, not in this episode, even with the Earth, wind, and fire reference. Not in this episode. <laughs>
He's a renaissance man. Joe Tessitore, he's the best. Tess, I can't thank you enough, man. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. We're going to get back to work here. Thank you. Well, this was a ton of fun. Seriously, I can't thank Ron McGill enough. Go to Zoo Miami. Um, I'm going to make a donation, as I mentioned. I encourage others to do so as well. And my thanks to Joe Tessitore. Tess is the best. He's a great friend. He's so funny, very entertaining. Make sure you check out Holy Moly. Next week, so this is the key here with Cinephile. In the past, I've been rightfully criticized, as Chris's father, Greg Cody, tweeted last week, who would win in a slap fight between elitist movie snobs? Incredibly, David Sampson won 40% of the vote. I finished second at 35%. Amin Hassan was third. But when it comes to these movies, these big bunch of blockbusters, there's some that I just have no interest in seeing. So when Levitard brought me over, I said, I gotta understand here, like, I, I hate Tom Cruise. Like, I, I'm not gonna watch Mission Impossible. And he said, that's fine, but we can just have guest reviewers. So next week, I won't tell you who, but F9 is coming out. Fast 9, which I have no interest in. I know Cody's fired up. I know the audience is fired up. I am not, but we will have a guest review of Fast 9, I promise you. And I will also review the stuff that I'm into as well. We're also going to have next week Mark Razzo. He is the director of a film called Awake that's currently on Netflix with Gina Rodriguez. And L. John Wertheim from 60 Minutes from the Tennis Channel from Sports Illustrated. He's got a great new book out called Glory Days. So John and I are going to wrap next week and, of course, talk a little Roger Federer. Thanks so much to everyone, and I'll see you at the movies. Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are, leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.